Well, yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, I was on vacation, and last week I was working in Houston, which I'll tell you about in a minute. We are starting a series today called Launch, and, uh, you know, for us as a church, uh, for a very specific, specific reason, because we're entering a season where we are going to be launching our third location in just 36 days, Londonderry, it, we're going to go public in Londonderry, and on September 9th, we'll have launched them into that community, and um, they'll officially be our third location uh, uh, happening there. And uh, this morning, they had a preview service, so they met, uh, uh, or they're probably just wrapping up their service there now. And it's exciting that that's happening, and we can't even believe that it's happening. And so within the last 10 months, we will have launched two locations. And uh, listen, this is not, this is not, um, uh, this is not within our ability to do this, all right? This is not something we could have done on our own. It's not something really that probably anybody would have advised us to do. It's just something that we felt God telling us to do. And so we've been moving forward in that. And, and as we talk through this series launch, we're not just talking about the location that we're launching, but in anything that God calls you to do in your life, how do you launch? How do you start something when God tells you to go do something? Now, coincidentally, or according to God's sovereignty, I was in Houston, Texas this past week um, doing some stuff for our denomination and being part of a business meeting there and attending some services. And um, Houston, Texas is, uh, so I was within the same city and not too far away from the Johnson Space Center, which is NASA, NASA's mission control and astronaut training facility. The Johnson Space Center has supported and operated every space flight mission since 1965. And so here I was in the headquarters of launch uh, and about and preparing and writing a message about launch. Um, it was to mission control where some of these famous quotes were spoken. Apollo 11 said, Houston, we have liftoff. Neil Armstrong, once he landed on the lunar surface and stepped on the moon, he said, Houston, the eagle has landed. And then famous, probably the most famous of them all, it was Apollo 13 who said, Houston, we have a problem. Famous quotes from these famous space missions that have happened. And in 1961, when President John F. K. kind of started the space race and started all of this, he was giving a speech at Rice University where he uh, publicly exclaimed, we choose to go to the moon. And that sentence and that speech um, changed, really changed our culture and changed the world. It made an impact in our world. And amazing as that quote is and how that one sentence, you know, affected and, and has caused us to explore space and make all these discoveries and know so much more about that word, it has had far less impact on the world than this other famous quote. 
So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a quote to you, and, and some of you who've been in church for a long time, you'll recognize it, but it was something Jesus said. And he said, therefore, go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. These words of Jesus spoken to his disciples um, just really moments before his ascension to Christ. And if you're not familiar, the ascension of Jesus is the supernatural moment where, you know, you know Jesus' life, his entire life was supernatural. You know, he was in heaven and left heaven and put on flesh and became a man. And all of the miracles and supernatural moments that happened just at his birth and, and then through his life and then all of the miracles that he performed. And then he died on the cross and was executed on a cross where he, um, where then three days later he came back to life and, uh, and, and, and taught his disciples for the next 40 days, taught his disciples and, and trained them. And then 40 days after his resurrection was his ascension. And that's where it, he was gathered with probably about 120 of his followers, of his disciples, and they witnessed him supernaturally leave this earth and return back to heaven. I don't know exactly what they saw. I don't know exactly how that happened, but they witnessed it. And, and it was Jesus really showing them, like, listen, this is true. Not only have I have victory over life and death, I have victory over all realities and the power and authority over all realities and known realities of the world. So they saw that. So at his ascension, when he returned, right before he left, and he said, hey, and he's left, and he said, I'm going to come back again. Until you see me come back, here's your mission. Here's what you're going to do. Go and make disciples. Go and share the good news of me to the world. To anybody who will listen, to anybody who, who, who wants to, to uh, just share the good news of me for the rest of your life, for the rest of the age, he said, until I come back. Just think about that at that moment that, You've met Jesus personally. He has changed your life. You've followed him. You've been taught by him. You've witnessed all these miracles. You've just, in the last 40 days, gone through a roller coaster of, of, of seeing him executed, thinking you're going to be killed as well, um, seeing the miracle of him risen, and then seeing this moment where he returns to heaven. And, and he's given you this command, go and make disciples in all nations, and then he's gone. And then it's just the 120 of you at the mountain is kind of like, well, now what? What do we do? So we look in this series, we're going to really look at the, what the disciples did in the book of Acts through um, starting the church and, and what they did in response to this. What did they do after God told them to go? We want to look at that in our series because we know uh, we really want to replicate them in a lot of areas in our life, not just for the church, but for you as an individual, because they did make an impact. Today, on today, alive right now, there are over 2.2 billion Christians in the world. On, on probably in just about every country in the world, there are Christians. These. 120, God told them to go and launch something. And 
They did it. It's infected billions of people since then. And it's changed my life. And it's changed yours. Now, where do you go? Where do you start when God says go? So let's talk about you as an individual. Now, we're going to talk about this as a church. But also, I want to talk to you about an individual. Because as an individual, because there are things that, that Jesus has spoken to you that he wants you to start and he wants you to launch. Now, he, this verse that we just read in Matthew, Matthew 28, this is something he's spoken to every follower of Jesus. He said it to every single one of us. You, if you've given your life to him and you've received the good news of him, then this is a command that, that's for every single one of us, that you go and share the good news with other people. Every single one of us who is following him, that is what he's told us to do, and that go is, uh, is to be applied to our life as well. But I believe God has spoken some very specific things for some of you to go, uh, some very specific things for some of you to do, and some very specific things for some of you to launch. And, uh, and, and so I want to talk about that for a second. Maybe you've just been feeling in your heart, and it could have been 10 years ago, it could be something that just happened this morning, but you've just been feeling that God's been speaking to you and trying to push you and trying to get you even to launch a business or to start your own business. And you've been thinking about that and wrestling with that, and you and you really like feeling that pressure that, and you can't let it go, you can't put it down, that it's something that God's kind of compelling you to do, but you've, you've never started a business before. You don't know if you're ready to start a business. You're not sure if you can take a risk, and you just don't know what to do. And God's told you to go and launch this thing, but you don't know where to start. Maybe God's been speaking to you and your spouse and, and pushing you and, uh, and trying to tell you, listen, it's time to launch your family. It's time to start your family. And Maybe you're both only children or whatever circumstances, and you're both just freaked out by that, and you're not ready for that. Maybe you've met my kids, and you're like, I don't want to live that life. And so you, you're just there, and you're, and, and you're stuck, and, and you don't know what to do. Maybe God's been speaking to you to start a nonprofit, and it's just been something that's heavy on your heart, something that's... Um, been burdening you, and burden is a really a good heaviness, a good weight on your shoulders that you really want to have. Uh, and but God's been burdening you, and there's just uh, there's just something wrong in our community that you see, and you just feel like God's telling you, don't just don't you know? I want to use you to start a nonprofit to help people in that area, uh, and and it could be in our community, it could be in the world, but there's just something that that needs to be done, and you feel that God's telling you to be the one to do it. He could be speaking to you and telling you to, to start, a, a, start a new degree or, or, or launch into getting an, an education. And you're thinking, at my age and after all my life experience and everything I've accomplished in my career, why would I go start over again? But Something God's pushing you to do. It could be even starting a ministry. Starting, you know, getting involved or, or, or even launching you onto the mission field. Something that's been in there 
Maybe something that's recent. God's telling you to go. Where do you start when he speaks that to you? Now, before we kind of get into the message and the text, I, I just want to give you one teaching on this, because this is where some people can, can really kind of derail and, and go off course with their life. So here's the first kind of grid that you look at if you're trying to figure out, is God telling me to launch this, or is this just my own idea? Every go that Jesus tells us is a sub-go of the main go. Every go that Jesus tells us is a sub-go of the main go. So let me explain that because that doesn't make any sense. We, there's a main go for every Christian and every follower of Jesus. And what is that? We already read it. Go and make disciples in all nations. Anything that Jesus tells you to do is a sub-go of that. So Jesus, the, the main go is go and make all disciples, and then the sub-go, Jesus said, go launch a church, a restoration church in Londonderry. It is connected to the, to the, the, the first go, make disciples. When he said go and revitalize the church in Plymouth, it is connected to the main go. When he tells us go on to the mission field, it is connected to the main vision. If he tells you to start a business and you're a follower of Jesus, it is connected to making disciples to reaching just one more. And if it's not connected to that go, then it's not connected to God. And if it's not with that purpose and with that intention, then it's not God speaking it to you. So if you're trying to figure out, is it God or not? Does it connect to Matthew 28? Does it connect to reaching and sharing the good news of Jesus with people? You can think like, well, how can a business, how is starting a business, how can that be related to, to, the, to the first go? And so let's talk about that. Let's think about that for a second. If you're thinking you're going to start a business and you're going to, you know, um, you're going to raise frogs and sell them to Petco, you're, all right, and, and you think like, you just feel God telling you to raise frogs and sell them to Petco, and you think like, what in the world is so stupid? How could, I, how could that ever be related to making disciples in all nations? Well, how could it be? God could be telling you to launch a business because God wants to expand your business. God wants to expand your income, and God wants to expand your generosity. And so God knows you're not going to, you have a generosity and the gift of giving in your heart that you're not going to be able to fulfill um, working that minimum wage job. And so there's a, there's a gift of giving that's in your heart that is beyond your current financial status. And so God knows there's a niche market and there's millions to be made and millions to be given in the category of frogs. And, um, and so if you will step into that, He's then going to grow your business and then allow you to be a kingdom resourcer where you now have ability to write several digit checks to uh, missions organizations around the world. You're able to, um, you're able to give generously to the, to the people in need in our community and you're able to give generously to your church and, and to give significantly to the work of God that you're a part of, and to see God move and to reach people and to see disciples made in all nations. Your business, God could tell you to, 
to, to sell frogs, and it can be absolutely 100% connected to make disciples in all nations. So it's got to be connected to that. If it's not connected to that, then it is not God. If you've got your Bibles, open up to the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter 1. And we're going to really kind of be in this book through this entire series. And, um, and so we're going to look at what they did. We want to really model what they did. If God's calling you to, uh, to do a business, or he's calling you to launch a church, he's calling you to change the world, um, we want to see what they did and follow their example. So Jesus ascends to heaven. He says, I'll be back, but until I do, I want you to, uh, I, I, you know, I told you to go into all the nations, but don't leave yet. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he is going to empower you for the task ahead. And so they left the mouth, they, they left the moment, Jesus left, they returned back to Jerusalem. It was about a day's journey, and for the next 10 days, we see what they did and really what marked. They, there's some other little things they did, but um, in verse number 14, we'll read about what they did. It says, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women and the brothers of Jesus. God said, go into all the world. Go make disciples in all nations and their response was to be in prayer. They didn't go and, you know, they're like, man, if we're going to get to all the nations, we need funding. So they didn't go to meet with a bank. It, it, at the, the, the climate of that time was very dangerous. And so, you know, they, what they, didn't, they didn't like, well, we need bodyguards. They didn't go try to hire some muscle and, and get a security firm to be protecting them. You know, of those of those um, 12 disciples, this is excluding Judas, um, who, had, uh, who betrayed Jesus. They ended up replacing him later. Of, those, of the, 12, the new 12 disciples, um, 11 of them were executed, uh, were killed for telling people about Jesus later on in their life. And, and so it was very dangerous, but that wasn't the first step that they took. They didn't go like, oh, we need to get this word out, so we need to go tell the news agency and go tell, you know, and go get it spreading around. No, the first thing that they did is they prayed. When God says go, whether it's go finish your degree, go start a business, go join a volunteer team, go share the good news of Jesus with your coworker. It, it, we need to start with prayer as well. We tend to just see prayer as a last resort. And we go pray when we figure out we can't do it on our own. And we go pray when we're then in a place of danger or when we're in a place where, um, uh, you know, when we're in trouble. But if you pray as a last resort, then you miss God's resources. What God wants us to do is to be praying, to be praying constantly, to be praying through all of this, and to be praying from the very beginning. Because as we pray, then he moves. And as we pray, then he moves. And he wants us throughout the entire process to see what he can do in us, what he can do through us, and what he can do for us. He wants us, he wants to be showing that throughout the entire way. 
So it wasn't just also, if you look at this verse, it wasn't just that they prayed. Because we can look at prayer like, um, we can look at prayer like, like something we see in a movie. So if you're going to pray, you have to go to a church building, none of which existed uh, during the time of the disciples, by the way. But you're going to go into this church building, you'll be all alone, it'll be late at night, and you'll, you'll light a candle or something, you'll get on your knees and you'll say something, and, and that, that's it, and that's prayer. But that is not what these men and women did. They prayed constantly, and they prayed united. Let's talk about praying constantly. This wasn't the only time that they prayed. And after the church started and, and things began to move, they didn't stop praying. But in the book of Acts, it shows 13 other times where they gathered together and they prayed. And, and it shows us the different things that they prayed for. They prayed for healings of people. They prayed for the deliverance of people. They prayed for the boldness to speak the word of God. Again, it was dangerous. Their life was on the line to begin to share about Jesus. They prayed for miracles. They prayed for the forgiveness of their persecutors. And they prayed for the dead to be raised. They, they prayed constantly. They prayed about everything. And they prayed, they prayed things that only God could do. Because they were praying constantly, we can begin to, uh, begin to understand that, you know what, these weren't uh, elaborate, meticulous prayers. They weren't, you, they weren't um, you know, we tend to think to, to pray, it has to be profound and it has to be eloquent. And you can't pray constantly and be eloquent or be elaborate or be meticulous. Constant prayer is none of those things, but a constant prayer is an effective prayer. And we're worried too much. And I mean, you don't want to pray. You don't even want to pray over the food at your backyard barbecue or pray to open up your circle because you don't want people to hear you. You don't want to sound stupid. But praying constantly is not about, it's not about what other people are going to hear and it's not about sounding good. Praying constantly is about making sure that God hears you. Just always on, it's just always in your mind, always in your, um, in your, um, in your speeches, always there. Now, how do we pray constantly? Uh, I went to, uh, in my research, found one pastor who preached an entire message on how to pray constantly. So I've condensed it in here to about 35 seconds. But how do you, how do you pray constantly? Uh, you pray with dependence. A constant prayer is a dependent prayer because you realize, I can't do this on my own. You just always have that understanding. God, what you're calling me to do is not something I can do in my own ability. God, what you're asking me to do is nothing I can do on my own. So, um, so I need you. Launching, uh, having three locations and launching in uh, two locations in 10 months is nothing that we as a, as, a, as a church could do. We didn't have the manpower. We didn't have the financial resources. We didn't have the ability or the experience to be able to do it. But, you know, and, and launching them within a five and a half hour driving radius is nothing, or is a three and a half hours driving radius, um, is nothing that we 
uh, even that the experts would have advised us to do, but it was just something that God called us to do, and, and we need to be praying constantly throughout it. Praying constantly means repeatedly and often. This doesn't mean that it's 24 hours straight. You know, I tell my wife that I think about her constantly. Like, you know, it's not thinking about her constantly, but I'm thinking about her constantly. I'm thinking about her often. And we, we if you think about this from a negative perspective, if you've ever been in a bad situation where you needed a miracle, you needed God to do something, you get what it is to pray constantly. Because when something bad is going on, repeatedly, you're, I mean, you're not thinking about it all the time, but you're repeatedly praying. God, man, I just pray you change your heart. God, I just pray, you, man, I need you to help me. And it's kind of all throughout the day, you're making those little prayers. All throughout the day, you're offering those things up to God. All, all throughout the day, you're bringing it before him. And we know how to do that for a negative thing. But how about doing that for a positive thing? And begin to pray like that for positive things. God, man, I just thank you for my church. I pray you bless the church. God, I thank you for Pastor Nate. Man, man help him, God, this week. Uh, God, I just, I just thank you for what you're doing in, in, in our community. And on, sometimes on Sunday mornings, you're driving to church, and you're driving by all these other people mowing their lawns and enjoying their pools, and you can drive by them and be jealous, like, man, I wish I didn't have to go to church. But what if you begin to pray positively and pray constantly, and even on your drive-in on Sunday mornings, you just begin to think, man, life, God, life is so much bigger than a pool. Life is so much, there's so much more to be had in life than doing yard work. I pray, God, you help those people to meet you and know you and experience you like I have, that they'd experience what this is. It's not just the toil and the repetitiveness and just entertainment. God, it's knowing you and being loved by you and be for, being forgiven by you and begin to constantly be praying for people like that. And then we pray constantly by praying without ever giving up. Don't get to a place where you say prayer doesn't work. We pray constantly and then we pray united. These 120 men and women were praying the same things. It's an interesting verse in Matthew 18 that um, that Jesus talks about and uh, something that he shares with us that doesn't really make too much sense, but he says, I tell you this, if two of you here on earth agree concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. There is a power in a united prayer that we often overlook. So if you're feeling that, you know, that you're going to, God's calling you to, to to do something, you need to be united in prayer, and, and maybe it's something you and your spouse are going to do. You need to be un united in prayer about that. Not one of you praying, Jesus, talk him out of it, or the other one praying, Jesus, talk her out of it. A, an aligned prayer would be, Jesus, speak to us. That's an aligned prayer, rather than praying against each other. As a church, praying an aligned prayer and we're praying the same thing going in the same way. If you're going to launch a ministry that as, you're, as, as a ministry, you're, you're praying the same things. If you're going to launch a business, that you're praying with your business partner and you're aligned in prayer together. And if you begin to think like, well, I'm launching a business. My business partner doesn't pray. I can't pray with them. Then, then one thing you should do is go back and study this verse that says you should not be unequally yoked. 
because that talks about business partnerships. And if you can't pray with your business partner about the business you're going to launch, then that's not the person God's calling you to launch your business with. And same thing, like, if you're like, oh, we're going to start a family, but you can't pray with your, your fiance, you can't pray with your boyfriend or girlfriend, then listen, it's the same thing. You can't have an alignment in prayer if one of you doesn't pray. So you've got to make, you got to look at these things and make tough decisions and maybe even get out of some, not some marriages, but some, some relationships if you can't be aligned in prayer. In any endeavor that God calls you to launch, in any area he calls you to go, you must pray constantly and you must pray united. If you got your pen, there's a couple of things I want you to write down here. Because these are things that I want us to pray together and pray united as a church. 36 days until we launch Londonderry, we need to be in a season of prayer. Uh, next, uh, I believe next Sunday night, the 12th, if I get that date right, if your calendar uh, confirms what I'm saying, we're going to be praying uh, in Londonderry um, together. So you're invited to be a part of that. We'll probably primarily just be talking about it with them, but just so you know. Um, but we want to be in a season of prayer because uh, this is not the end of what God's going to ask us to do. And this is, um, this is the really, we're still at the beginning of what he's asking us to do as a church and and as individuals. So I want to give you some things for us to be praying about. First, pray for the Holy Spirit. And we see this is what the disciples did. They went to the upper room, which was a place they often met with Jesus and met together. And they went into this 10-day season of intense prayer, which again didn't stop, but it was a focused season of prayer. No endeavor that God has called you to do can be accomplished without the Holy Spirit. He's, not, he, he's called us to do something we cannot do on our own. He's called you to do something and start something you cannot do on your own because he wants to show you what he does and he wants you to experience a life following him. Second thing is to pray for boldness. Um, you know, it takes a boldness to step out in faith. It takes a boldness to do maybe things that people are advising you not to do, but you know God's telling you to do. Um, it takes a boldness to talk about Jesus in a culture and a climate where it's not popular. And the disciples knew that, again, because they, uh, many of them were, they were beaten many times and attacked many times for talking about Jesus. It takes a boldness. And you need a boldness to share your story with people. You're, you're just too afraid and you think, I don't want to offend people. Why would people be offended about the good things going on in your life? So you're sharing about the good things Jesus has done in your life. That shouldn't be offensive to people. If it is, those people are jerks, you know? If, if I go to the store and I get a really good deal on, on, uh, on a refrigerator... And um, yeah, someone messed up. It was marked down clearance, down for $7. Like a whole fridge? Yeah, a whole fridge. Well, I'm offended. Like who would ever like, how dare you tell me about the good things going on in your life? Like who, why would anybody ever get offended about good things going on in your life? So you don't have to be afraid to tell people the good things that Jesus does in your life. They may not believe you, but it's not going to be offensive. And again, if they are offended by it, I mean, there's really, 
there's nothing that should keep you from sharing about the good things you've done in your life, that are happening in your life. Nothing. And then lastly, so uh, pray for the Holy Spirit. Pray for boldness. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us. We need the Holy Spirit to give us courage to be bold. And then we need the Holy Spirit um, to, uh, to use us in miracles. And that's the last thing to pray. Pray for miracles. Acts chapter 4, verse 30 says, uh, the disciples were praying and they, they prayed, Holy Spirit, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And we pray for miracles, but we pray for ourselves. God, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. We need to pray for miracles, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. And that's what the disciples were praying they were praying for other people to be healed. They were praying for other people to experience Jesus. They were praying for other people to be delivered. There's nothing wrong with praying for yourself, but that's usually all we pray for. Our own needs, our own concerns. And we need to pray that God would do a miracle in other people's lives. That every Sunday morning, in every location, in every service we, we have, that people would experience the miracle of salvation. The experience of being forgiven by Jesus and having their lives changed by him. We need to pray for that. We need to pray for a miracle for, uh, for our church, you know, to launch three, three locations and to launch the next one when God tells us to do that. Um, you know, we don't have, again, we don't have the manpower. We don't have the financial resources to be able to do it. But kind of right now, just, just trusting God at every moment uh, to, to buy the little things we need to need, that we need and, and trusting him to, to provide every dollar that we need to, to do this and we need to pray for, for miracles. And again, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of other people, that people in all nations, the people in all our towns and cities would be able to hear about the good news of Jesus. I want to close with this story. Uh, as I was researching the message for this morning, I came across a story by Jerry Woodfill. It connects in nice because he was connected, he, he um, uh, he's worked at NASA just about all his adult life. And um, he was serving as a NASA spacecraft warning system engineer for the Apollo 13. If you're, um, <coughs> if you're one of the younger uh, members of Restoration Church, you might not have seen that movie because it was made before you were born. But there's a famous movie starring... Tom Hanks that I believe is on Netflix that you can go back and watch that will give you kind of the uh, main overview of that event, which is a true story and it's absolutely hard to believe. It's crazy. So Jerry Woodfield is serving on that crew and he's working at Mission Control and he's working in Houston and he's a part of everything that happened. So what happened was there was an explosion on one of the parts of the ship and the crew had to overcome limited uh, fuel and electrical power, a failing uh, air filter system that led to increasing levels of carbon dioxide in the spacecraft. <coughs> and then if they were to somehow make it back to Earth, there was a tropical storm that was um, going to be right in their landing site, which could have blown them anywhere really in the ocean, in the world, and the guys would have could have drowned before they were ever found. So just all kinds of unlikelihoods, all kinds of improbabilities that would ever happen. So Jerry Woodfill is, is talking about this and 
just the events that happened and it's just believing that God uh, was orchestrating every kind of detail through this because it was too much that happened that it could have been a coincidence. He talks about one of the things that happened. So when the explosion happened, the, the crew on the Apollo 13 wrongly believed that they had been hit with space junk and that there was a hole in the, in the back part of their ship. And so when the explosion happened, they, what they tried to do was seal off that part of the ship, but they, they couldn't close the hatch. It wouldn't work. Of all the things that could have gone wrong and all the things that didn't go wrong in that ship, um, the hatch wouldn't work, and so they weren't able to seal that part of the ship off. Now, from this side of history, we know had they sealed, had that hatch work and they sealed off that ship, they never would have had the resources to, uh, to make it back. They all would have died in space had they closed that hatch. Because later they needed parts from both ship to piece together the, the, all the resources needed to make it back to earth. Uh, Wood, Woodfill said, again, an unseen author had scripted an implausible event. A NASA-designed mechanism failed during the simplest of functions, closing a hatch. He talks about, uh, like, and he, he begins to say all these events on Apollo 13, they're miraculous, that God was intervening. He said, the whole world prayed. The Pope in Rome prayed. The people all over the world, uh, people prayed all over the world. I saw prayer make a difference during Apollo 13. Was his entire event happened? He wasn't a Christian, but he he was then um, part of the crew and one of the engineers that helped to solve the problem with the air filtration and the and the carbon rising carbon dioxide levels in the in the plane, and he. And they were able to build a filtration system out of plastic bags and duct tape. And he, be, he even talked about how, why everything they put on the spacecraft, their duct tape was going to be on that, on that plane together. But they were able to live thanks to duct tape. Like they came together, taped together. They came back to Earth. He, Apollo 13 landed and it was miraculous. He said that event and the few other events that closely followed that led him to giving his life to Jesus. And he's, he was sharing about this story and the miracles of this story and how it led him to faith at, at an event. And we think about the Pope praying for miracles and even thinking about the astronauts praying for a miracle, like, man, get us home. Like, may this duct tape and plastic bags work. Like, somehow get us home. And all the people around the world praying for a miracle for those astronauts, I don't think any of them were thinking about a miracle of Jerry Woodfill, who because of what God did and how God intervened in that space capsule led him to experiencing the greatest miracle of all, where he met Jesus and gave his life to Jesus. Every miracle God wants to do is for the benefit of another person. Everything God wants to do in your life, yeah, there's benefit. There's going to be great things to enjoy. You're going to know God, which is absolutely amazing. You're going to be used by Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. You don't want to miss out on that. But he's doing it not for your benefit, not so you can just enjoy him. He's doing it for the benefit of people who don't yet know him. You close your eyes. I want to pray for you.
reason we have people close their eyes is so we uh, just allow you to focus on what God's doing in your life. And um, so, man, I just want to pray for you. If you're here this morning and you're like, you know what, that's a miracle I need to experience. I need to give my life to Jesus. Uh, man, we invite you to do that. Some people would think it would be real complicated and really hard. Like you're going to have to take a bunch of classes or, or get some legal document work done or get something notarized. And you don't have to do any of that. If you want your life changed by Jesus, you want to experience the miracle of forgiveness and salvation, all you have to do is pray a simple prayer. And you can pray something like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're God's son and that you came to earth and you died on a cross so I could be forgiven of my sins. I believe that you rose again and, and I believe that you want to save me. I give my life to you and I ask you to forgive me of all the wrong things I've done. Help me to learn to follow you for the rest of my life. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. And that's it. That prayer, that moment, that offering that up to God, he changes everything in your life. He forgives every wrong thing you've done. He, he, um, he's with you and he dwells in you and he begins to uh, help you now to live a life with him. And he even gives us eternal life in heaven. If you're here and you're a church person and uh, you're a Christian, you've been following Jesus for a long time, but I just want to pray for you because there's a bunch of you and you're feeling God is telling you to launch something. So I just want to pray for you before I, before I end. Jesus, for every person in here, God, you've given us the big go. Go, make disciples in all nations. God, there's a bunch of, of, of smaller goes that you're teaching each and every one of us because you want to use us to reach different groups of people in the world, different groups of people in our community, different groups of people that we're friends with or that we're, um, you, you know, that we're related to. And, um, and, and so you're speaking some different things. There's businesses you're telling people to start. There's degrees you're telling people to start. There's relationships you're telling people to start or end. God, there's... Um, uh, ministries and mission fields that you're calling people to go to. And, and I just pray that anyone that you're speaking to, they will enter into a season of prayer. They'll pray constantly. They'll pray united with the people around them. They'll pray for your Holy Spirit. They'll pray for boldness. And they'll pray for miracles. Lord, that you would do what only you can do and you'll do it through them. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't back out. They wouldn't be afraid. They wouldn't give up, but they would just absolutely, absolutely go for what you have for them. As a church, Lord, empower us, fill us, baptize us. Use us in ways we could never, we could never imagine and we could never take the credit for. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing. You can stay seated. You can open your Bible and write. Just use this moment to, uh, to just talk to God about what's going on in your heart. Hear the cry.